Thank you, guys. Chris and Sam, so good. Definitely feel warmed by that. Good to see everyone here this morning. And welcome to Renaissance Church. And also those who are at home watching. Hope you're staying warm. Um, so a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, at the beginning of the year, we started a new series. I think you saw the graphic there uh, called Rhythms. And we're just looking at some of the most important spiritual habits to build into our lives in the new year. Uh, usually we do something like this, some version of this every year. Uh, so this year is no different. So, so far we've covered the pursuit of God through prayer. I think that was week one. And then week two was uh, studying scripture and just how to handle that. So you can go back and if you missed one of those, you can listen to those online easy enough. Uh, just go to the website, click sermons, and it's right there. So today <clears throat> we're going to look at the subject of spiritual reading, spiritual reading. And I want to uh, just first say this. I just want to be sensitive to those who uh, may not know how to read or really struggle with reading or just hate reading. You know, reading doesn't come easy for everyone. Uh, for some reason, uh, some people are just wired by the Lord to be more visual learners. Uh, some people learn by listening. Uh, some people learn by doing, experiencing things. The good news is that there are thousands upon thousands of really good books that can be listened to in audiobook form. Um, many books have been turned into films. Not that that's quite the same as reading a book, uh, but it can still have a huge impact. But regardless of your relationship with books up to this point, I just I want to encourage you today about the importance of taking in books, whether you read them or you listen to them or you get someone else to uh, read for you. Uh, it doesn't matter. There is content in books that can change our lives. Now, it must be said, first said, that not all reading is spiritual reading. There are many things we might read. Uh, for example, like the, the sports page of the newspaper, a text from your mother, uh, the caption under a picture, an image that you're looking at in social media, an article about Omicron, another article, right? How many articles can we read about that? A story about maybe a building that collapsed, a manual for a new appliance that you purchased, a nasty letter from a bill collector, an email from an old high school friend, a bio about our favorite artist, maybe a list of 
20 things not to say on a first date. But there are just so many interesting things uh, out there to read. Kind of Some of them feel urgent that we have to read this. And people in 2022, in this part of the world at least, tend to do quite a bit of reading. Mainly because most people, even if they don't have much money, uh, own a phone, a smartphone that they can read things on. In some ways, people are probably doing more reading than any other time in history. Um, but it's more bits and pieces and skimming things, and, uh, but we do a lot of reading. Now, while it's important to read a variety of things for various reasons, most of us uh, are reading a lot of content that isn't necessarily spiritual reading. All right, so that's what I'm talking about today. I'm just talking about reading. Reading is a good thing, but spiritual reading is reading that has a impact on our spiritual lives, on our relationship with God. Um, we could probably argue that all reading, to some measure, for better or for worse, uh, has some measure of impact on us spiritually. But spiritual reading has a direct and potent impact on our spiritual lives. Now, reading the Bible that we talked about last week, the Holy Scriptures would be the most obvious form of spiritual reading that we could do. But God has also called men and women throughout just the last 2,000 years of church history to study the Word, to apply the Word, to sort of immerse in the Scriptures and then write about it in fresh ways for our edification. Even the Apostle Paul, who received direct revelation from God, valued books, in a letter to young Timothy, a young pastor, he said, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. I love that phrase, also the books. Everybody wants to know what those books were. Uh, maybe they were newer books written by some of the disciples. Maybe they were old books that were around for hundreds of years. But Paul wanted to get his hands on those books not all books posing to be spiritual are actually spiritual. But there exist many books from 2,000 years of church history that are deeply spiritual. It can fuel our spiritual lives. They are books by godly authors who give us uh, inside glimpses of their relationship with God. What a gift! They give us an expansive vision of the glory of God. They give sense to the scriptures. Uh, they interpret the scriptures for us in meaningful ways. 
They develop their Christian thinking so deeply that it becomes for us a model to aim for. They articulate the specific sins and evils of their generation in a way that that's needed, that cuts to the heart. Uh, they sometimes take the whole narrative of the Bible and bring it, kind of synthesize it, and bring it in a way that is simple and relevant to their generation. I could keep going on, but this is what writers that God has given us do for us. I came across this quote uh, this week, just stumbled upon it, by John Piper about reading, and he says, he says this, I don't think reading many books is important. Not for the average person, anyway. Reading good books, solid books, non-sudsy books, substantial books is really important. And reading them well. I love that. Now, when we talk about reading spiritual books, we must realize it demands a very different kind of reading from all other sorts of reading. For example, I tend to, in the mornings, uh, sometimes before I even get out of bed, I tend to skim news articles. And man, I just, I don't wanna read every detail. I'm just trying to give me the facts, you know, give me the essentials. I tend to read emails very carefully, but rarely do I read an email more than once. I read a thank you note from my little niece or nephew very slowly because I savor every word. It's a pleasure to read those. The instructions, this is going back some years, but the instructions to put together the new toy for my daughter that has like a thousand pieces I must painstakingly read and reread until I almost lose my mind. Many times I just skipped the instructions and tried to do it myself, and that's not a good way to do it, trust me. But my point is that we don't read everything the same way. Spiritual reading demands the highest level of intensity. Normal books we read, leisurely read, but spiritual books we study. It's a different kind of reading. Spiritual books are often read twice or three times or ten times. I don't even know how many times I've read the book The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. I love that book. Maybe that book I've probably read more than any other book over and over and over again. It's dense. It's short, but it's dense. And every time I read through it, I get something different out of it because I'm in a different place of my understanding of God. But the goal is not to uh, rip through as many spiritual books as possible in one lifetime. Instead, we want to go deep. We want to really understand what the author is 
saying. And it, it takes time with authors uh, to understand their vocabulary, to understand why they choose the words that they choose, even how they're using particular words. Because one author can use a, a word, another author can use the same word, but they can, they can be meaning slightly different things. It's not an exact science. You really have to kind of immerse yourself in the words of an author. It's common when reading a spiritual book to just pause and, and, and think about the idea that you're, you're reading. I remember reading about Charles Spurgeon who did that. He talked about not reading you know, large quantities of content, but just sometimes reading a few pages or a chapter of a book and then putting it down and going for a walk and just thinking about it. Spiritual reading is like eating. We bite, we chew, we swallow, we digest, we turn it into energy. Eugene Peterson, uh, with an even better illustration, puts it this way. He's an author. He's the one that, that wrote the, the translation of the Bible called The Message. But Peterson describes it like a dog working on a bone for days until he can get every last bit from it. This is spiritual reading. The purpose is not merely to gain information. The goal is transformation. The aim is to get the ideas so deep in us that they begin to change how we live. And of course, again, this holds true for the Word of God. This is how we should study the Word of God. We shouldn't be reading the Word of God like it's the sports page, right? It's, we, we, we eat it. We, we really dig into it. We growl, as Peterson talks about it, over the bone and pull out of it everything we can squeeze. Many people think of uh, books as merely academic. Maybe it makes them think of school. School was boring. To them, a book just gives information that they maybe already know or don't really need to, to know. Maybe it's entertaining. A book teaches you how to do something. It's easy to think of books in a small way. I mean, can a book really change our lives? I mean, how does that happen exactly? How does spiritual reading change or shape our spiritual lives? In one sense, there's nothing sacred about books, right? Even the most spiritual books, even the Bible. Because what is it? It's paper. It's made of trees. Um, it's ink on a page. It's bound together in some way. They are written in a certain language using certain vocabulary words. And, and none, of, none of that changes us. 
What affects us is the ideas behind the words. I think it was A.W. Tozer who said something like, words are caskets that carry thoughts, that, that carry ideas. I think he used the word casket to signify that they're empty containers and that the words are dead until they are made alive by God and understood. So what matters most is the ideas behind the words. And it's the same true uh, with the Bible. I mean, that's why the Bible says the letter kills. There's no life in the word. The word actually has no life until God breathes into it. And the, the word can be handled, the Bible can be handled in a very dead fashion that, that actually produces death in people. That's why it's so important for teachers of the Bible to have the Holy Spirit in their life. But words are instruments to bring forth ideas. And these ideas change us. But how, how do the ideas change us? Like, how does that actually happen? I mean, I can't get too deep into it, but I thought about it a little bit. I think what happens is spiritual authors immerse themselves so much in truth, in the word of God, in processing the ideas of the Bible, that they are able to give us a vision of who God is and how we are to live in the kingdom of God. There are many women who have experienced the living God and have a sort of burning in their bones. Spiritual authors have a mindset, a refined mindset of putting Jesus first. The ideas they communicate are often forged in the furnace of suffering. They write from a place of experience. They write from a place of desperate hunger and thirst for God. And as we steep in their writings, the ideas get in us. I don't mean just get in our head. Okay, now we know, you know, we can regurgitate some idea. I'm not talking, I'm talking about get inside of us. It's more than information. We catch something of the spirit of the author. And over time, we, we, we kind of take a piece of that author into us. We, we become like them in some measure. The fire of the author becomes a fire in us. That's why it's important, I think, not to just read a quote from a great author or, you know, read a book and just kind of casually go through it. We're actually trying to get at the heart of the author. And again, this holds true for the Word of God. When you're reading a book of the Bible, you want to get to that. You, we need to understand the context. We need to really get to what the original author was trying to communicate in this. Um, there's a labor to that. We can't just flip open the Bible and read something and you know, give it the meaning that we want to give it 
or apply it in some way. Sometimes we, we so quickly go to the application part of, of the Bible, right? We just, you know, read something, like we don't really understand it, but we just quickly try to apply it to some part of our life. We have to do our homework, in a sense, of understanding first. You know, one of the simplest ways to approach the Bible is to, number one, uh, figure out what the portion means. What did the author mean to say here? What is he trying to communicate? That's, that's a labor in itself. And then once you figure out that, you can move to the second thing, which is, okay, why does this matter for my life? or for anybody's life in 2022. But both of those are important. It's the two parts of handling the word of God. But what we're trying to do when we read is we're trying to catch the vision of the author. And this comes by reading and rereading, and thinking, and praying, and processing, and reading again, and reading other books by the same author to understand how they use the words. And over time, it begins to shape our minds. And the Bible says, as a man thinks, so he is, right? The way you think in every aspect of your life affects how you live in every aspect of your life. So the mind, it's like a garden. You know, our mind needs to be cultivated, tended to. Almost any sin that you commit, if we could really trace it back, we could trace to a wrong way of thinking in the mind. So how we think really matters. And books, good books, good spiritual books can help. Now it must be said that for every one spiritual book, there are probably a hundred quote-unquote Christian books that I would call unspiritual. There are many wolf authors in sheep's clothing. The Christian sections of a bookstore, and really it depends on what town you're in. Like I remember looking at a, the Christian section in a bookstore in Northampton, Mass., and I don't think there was actually one Christian book in the whole section. And I was like feeling the a little... I was feeling my blood boil, wanting to like turn over tables. Uh, it was, I was so offended by the books that were there. I picked one up. I remember reading. I'm like, well, this one looks promising. And the whole first chapter um, just sought to completely undermine the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. And I was like, okay. So there is... There's a lot of content out there that isn't, isn't worth reading. And, and, it, and it looks good, but, it, but it's actually not good. Um, 
I believe there's, there's a lot of books that Jesus himself would not recommend and that he would uh, probably throw in the trash can. And these books, there's a lot of books that kind of take Scripture. Um, they're filled with Bible verses, actually. Uh, maybe the title of the book on the cover is, is really, just sounds really spiritual. But it's mixed with all kinds of subtle lying, deceptions. And it's this weird concoction of truth and lies. It's very dangerous. And Jesus warned us a lot about this. The New Testament warns a lot about this. False teachers and false prophets. And we really need to be discerning in what we read. Uh, so, yeah, don't be fooled by this. Many of these spiritually rotten books are just from a literary standpoint. They're well-written. Um, they're interesting. They're persuasive. So it really takes discernment, testing, uh, to select the right kinds of books. So how do we do that? I'll give you three, three suggestions. This is just three. There's probably more, but start with books that have stood the test of time. Man, I have read so many books through the years that now I wouldn't recommend to anybody. And I wish, honestly, looking back, that I never wasted my time reading some of the books that I've read. Find out what books were written by men and women who lived and died for the glory of God. Those are good books to start with. Number two, if you read modern authors, which is fine, and I think we do need to read modern authors because they have a fresh voice for this generation, but test them first. Who are they? You know, some book comes flying out. Wow, this is like the next thing. This is the greatest book in the world. Everybody's, you know, it's like the newest and latest and greatest and coolest and hippest thing. We got to read this book. Well, who is this person? Uh, who recommends this book? What is the life of the author like? Are they, how old are they? Are they 23 years old? 27 years old, I'm not saying not to read young authors, but sometimes, honestly, I've read a lot of young authors, and then five years later, 10 years later, they have gone off the map. They have fallen away, fallen away from Jesus, and I'm like, whoa, okay. Sometimes it's better to, it's safer at least, to read authors who have been in the game for a while. They have 20, 30 40 years under their belt of walking with Jesus. Yeah, are they writing from real life experience or are they just another clever echo? Is God really speaking through them? Or are they just talented writers? And are they just really good at marketing themselves? These are honest, I think, valid questions to ask. Don't waste your time reading books that you're not going to recommend later in your life. 
You know, test the books first. Be careful what you read. Just be selective. Third, think about the most godly men and women you know. Maybe, maybe that's your parents. Maybe it's a mentor in your life. Maybe it's... Uh, you know, somebody who led a small group for you for five years. But think about the people that you know are close to God, that have been walking with God for 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years. Ask them what authors have impacted them and why. You'd be wise to explore these authors. Uh, recently, I was just looking up different things. What was I looking up? The most, uh, like the best Christian books of all time. You know, just all this stuff comes up on the internet. But there was one thing that I found that was really interesting, and it was uh, some kind of survey of sorts. And they asked um, the question, basically the question like what, few books have impacted you the most, but they asked this question to just a wide variety of pastors from all different denominations, uh, just great men of God, women of God, different authors and whatnot, just a really wide range. And it was so interesting, the books that uh, were common on, on, on everyone's list. Like, for example, the, the one book that made the list more than any other book was Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, which I was just blessed by that because I've probably recommended that book more than any other book. That was the first book that I read as a new Christian, and it just affected my life so much. Um, one thing to keep in mind when reading a variety of spiritual authors is that they won't all agree perfectly on everything. And just, just be okay with that. Um, and I, I, I recommend reading, reading widely. Don't, read, don't let all of your books be from the same theological stream. You know, the, what you kind of, I did that for a while. I was in this one stream of books. And then I did an internship for campus ministry, and we had to read certain books uh, for our internship. And they were, they were from a variety of streams. And I began to learn that, oh, wow, people from this stream know God. And even people from this stream who disagree with certain points with these guys, but they know God. And you find this, this common element of passion for God, hunger for God, this deep, intimate knowledge of God, this experience of God. And you realize that uh, you can glean a lot from all the different theological streams.
Um, I want to just end this, this talk by giving you some suggested authors and books that have impacted my life in the last 33 years of walking with Jesus. Um, as I mentioned, I've read a lot of books that I don't recommend. I won't give you that list, but I've tested many books and given them an F for folly or fad. But there are certain authors who I turn back to again and again and again, and their writings grow on me. They aren't all from the same theological stream, as I mentioned, and they disagree about different points, uh, sometimes some pretty big, big points. And I, of course, don't agree perfectly with, with them either, because how could I if they don't agree with each other? Um, that would be impossible, right? But what, what all these authors have in common is that they've had a deep spiritual impact on my life and the lives of many, many others. These are not obscure authors by any means. So this is not an exhaustive list, and I'm sure many of you could add to this list. Um, but here are some of the authors I'd recommend. By the way, I just have to say this. Um, just because of the way our world has been in, for hundreds, thousands of years, um, there aren't a lot of female authors. Now, that's changing. That's changing. There, there's just a, it's happening in, in this generation, which is pretty exciting. Um, but they just didn't get published. They weren't, they weren't paid attention to, and their books have not stood the test of time, or their writings did not stand the test of time, not because they are not worthy. I guarantee you that in glory, when we go to the... Uh, when we go to the library in the, the future city, we're going we're gonna to find books <laughs> that we've never heard of. And they're going to be the journals of great women of God from 300 years ago or 500 years ago or 900 years ago. And they're going to line the shelves and we're going to, this stuff is good. Why didn't it get published? Well, that's a whole message in itself. But I just say that as kind of a disclaimer of why most of the authors on my list are men. But th here's some that I would uh, recommend. I'll start with some, some who are alive. Uh, Tim Keller. Anything that Tim Keller writes is thoughtful and theologically informed and just so nuanced and beautiful. Uh, I think he's probably the most important Christian author alive right now. He used to pastor in New York City. He's still doing a lot of different things. He's struggling with cancer. He's kind of maybe in the last, uh, last phase of his life. But anything, uh, probably Reason for God, I would recommend as a first book by Keller. But he's written many books, and there's many articles out there really good. 
Another author that has impacted me a lot through the years is Richard Foster. Uh, the book, this was one of my internship books, Celebration of Discipline. I have worn that book out. I've read it so many times or gone to it to read one particular chapter. Um, he kind of specializes in spiritual disciplines like prayer and reading and fasting and all the different ways that we access the grace of God. He is so gifted at encouraging and inspiring in that direction. Another author who I have to recommend is John Piper. He's living as well. Um, probably Desiring God is maybe the most popular of his many, many, many books. Um, I have some disagreements with some points of you know, Reformed theology with Piper, but there is no question that he is someone who thinks deeply about every aspect of the Christian life and every aspect of theology. So, you know, when you're trying to figure something out, you go to him, it's like he's already thought about that thing for, you know, it seems like hundreds of hours and has brought some refined uh, idea to, to the thing. I mean, it's just, it's, he's a gift and he has impacted the young generation a lot. He's, you know, getting older as well. I don't think he's pastoring anymore. Uh, he pastored for many, many, many years. He's still preaching and writing and doing, he's like a machine. He hasn't slowed down at all. Well, another guy I'd recommend, uh, who I think is probably one of the top 10 authors of the last 100 years, is Philip Yancey. Um, Philip is, he's just an artist. Uh, with words, and he is a storyteller, and he has written some really important books, one that I've read many times that we've had on our book tables uh, through the years is What's So Amazing About Grace? I think it's one of, the, one, of the, one of the best explanations of why the grace of God is so scandalous and so amazing. Uh, but he's just an enjoyable writer to read. Elizabeth Elliot, um, I think, is a wonderful female writer. Um, thank God uh, for her writing. She's written many books. Um, my favorite was a book called The Shadow of the Almighty, and it was written about partly about her life, but about her husband's life, Jim Elliot. Some of you probably know Jim Elliot was a missionary in Ecuador and died kind of a martyr's death. And so she kind of took that story and took the mission and went to Ecuador and was very successful in reaching the people there. But this book, The Shadow of the Almighty, has a lot of uh, Jim Elliot's journal entries and just uh, Elizabeth Elliot's insights and ideas about their life. It is, I think that book, probably for me, it's probably in my top 10. Um, just in terms of the impact that it had on my life. It was a very inside look at just what it means, what it looks like to really surrender your life to Jesus. 
How about Martin Luther King? MLK Day is tomorrow, right? Wow. Uh, some of the most beautiful, well-crafted sermons that have ever been written were by Martin Luther King. Um, you can find so much of his writing online. You can find letters. You can find whole books that he's written. Uh, I mean, these will shape your thinking, especially in terms of um, racial reconciliation and just people being made in the image of God. Just his vision. He'd be one, too, that I would put in that category of like, he was a man with a vision. He saw something from God about how things in the world should be, how the church should be. And so, you know, we often you scroll through social media tomorrow, you're going to come across some MLK quotes. Fine, you know, it's good. Read them. They're good. Quotes are good. But there's something about being immersed in the writings of Dr. King that you begin to see a little bit of what he saw. You begin to catch something of, of the vision. Uh, so yeah, his writings have been deeply impactful. As I mentioned before, C.S. Lewis, uh, probably the most important author in the last hundred years, um, no matter what theological stream, even people that disagree with Lewis on a lot of points will still, like John Piper, for example, um, would definitely be coming from a very different place theologically in many regards, but he just, he'll celebrate and quote uh, C.S. Lewis because Lewis's contribution is just, it's incomparable uh, to anyone in the last hundred years. Um, I mentioned mere Christianity, but probably a second book after that would be Screw Tape Letters. Uh, it's brilliant. And then you know, Chronicles of Narnia, all these different. I haven't really gotten into all the Lewis um, fantasy books and all that. I, I should. It's like I only have so much time. But maybe on a sabbatical. One of my favorite authors... Uh, probably top of the list for me would be A.W. Tozer. Um, he's one, too. The book Pursuit of God was uh, a book that many different pastors from all different theological camps had on their list. Uh, that is probably his greatest book, but he has written many books, deep, uh, just thoughtful just the vision of God that Tozer had it was so expansive, so rich. Um, they're, they're very dense books. Not long, many of them, but they're, they're just dense. And it takes a while. You've got to read them and reread them and read them again and read them again. Uh, but phew, what a gift his writings are. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Man, I mean, the classic, the cost of discipleship has probably impacted as many lives as any book out there, um, really coming against, stripping cheap grace 
down to nothing and really calling us to something serious. Um, powerful book. Also, Life Together is a great book by Bonhoeffer. For those of you who are artists um, and question askers, which I know many of you are, I would recommend Francis Schaeffer. I think his, his works are so interesting and just his writing style is so interesting and captivating, uh, especially for creatives. Greatest preacher in the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon. All of his sermons, his written sermons, you can find online. I think it's spurgeon.org. And there are, most of the books are just uh, compiled sermons by Spurgeon. But wow, one of the greatest writers. Any topic you can think of. You're reading something in the Bible, um, let's say on what? Sovereignty or uh, humility or prayer. If you just Google Spurgeon prayer, you're going to find some of these sermons. And if you just drink them in, they will affect you. He was an incredibly gifted writer. Um, strangely, most of his sermons were, I've seen notes, they were scribbled on, they were just a little outline. Uh, he didn't write his sermons out. He just had like a few little scribbled, uh, very brief outline that you could fit like on, a, on an index card practically. But he was so well-read, he was so immersed in the scriptures that he could just, he just talked. And it was, it was like pure gold. Some other... Uh, huge writers that impacted their generations and their impact still lasts to this day would be um, Karl Barth, uh, probably the most influential theologian of the 1900s. Jonathan Edwards of the 1700s. Um, some say he had the greatest Christian mind of anyone in the last 2,000 years. Martin Luther, uh, John Calvin, John Bunyan, they say that besides the Bible, the most uh, popular or most read Christian book is Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan, but he's also written many other things. St. Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, I could keep going. I was recently doing some fun math and figured that if I read one book on average a month, and I lived for 30 more years, which I'm planning on, God willing, it's God's decision, that would be 360 books. Now, for those who are younger, that number would be different, of course. Maybe it would be 500 or 1,000 books. Uh, that's, that's a lot. It seems like a lot, right? But it, it's actually not when you think about... <laughs> The millions and millions and millions of books out there for us to choose. So choose carefully what books you read. And again, it's not that you get to the end of your life and you're, oh, I read uh, 892 different books. 
it would be better to read a hundred books or to focus in on 40 authors and go deep. It would be better to take some books on your bookshelf and read them seven times or 12 times or whatever until it gets inside of you. The goal is not accumulation of knowledge, right? It's not just information. It's transformation. So do your research first before reading a book. When you find a spiritual author, aim to read all of their books. And pick authors who you want to be like, right? Don't read, you know, don't read anything from an author that you don't respect or you don't want to be like them because you, you kind of will, you almost become what you read. So be careful who you read. Choose, choose carefully. I don't know what else to say. Go out there and read a book. <laughs> this is such a funny message today. All right. Go read a book. Amen. All right, guys. Come on up. We're going to do one more song to finish up. Thanks for listening. Um, stand with me.